We've kind of talked about some of the problems in 1 Corinthians. Now we're going to bridge over into what the outcome is a bit. Let me talk a little bit about the background in 2 Corinthians. Now Paul writes several, wrote letters to the church at Corinth in response to all kinds of troubles that we've been talking about over the last several weeks. And we've been talking about uh, being kind of using this idea of setting priorities as a way of, of, of uh, creating godly unity. Well, um, uh, 1 Corinthians was written from Ephesus in about A.D. 56, and uh, that letter contained, as you saw, a lot of strong statements about the church's failure to live out the gospel message as he had trained them when he was there. Paul then seems to have made a brief trip from Ephesus to Corinth to see how the church was doing and responded to his, his instruction, and I guess that, that trip was not a very great success. Look with me. Okay, you're in 2 Corinthians. Look at chapter 2. He says this, But I determined this for my own sake, verse 1, that I would not come to you in sorrow again. Okay, he's writing back to him. He said, oh, wow. You know, kind of two strikes there. Um, uh, okay, and then go to 13.2. I previously said, previously said when present the second time. Okay, so he's been there a couple of times. And though now absent, I say in advance to all those who have sinned in the past and to all the rest as well, that if I come again, I'll not spare anyone. I, I, you know, that's just kind of tough talk. So he's, he, this hasn't gone well yet. So Paul uh, goes back to Ephesus. He faces a massive protest. In fact, uh, around his sharing of the gospel, there's a near riot that takes place in the city of Ephesus. He's going through a really tough time in his life. You can read about that in Acts 19. But after Paul sends then two of his key assistants ahead of him into Macedonia, um, he's left without the support of two of his most trusted friends, and he's saddled with this enormous anguish over what's going on in Ephesus. And, uh, and he travels then uh, into Macedonia. But along the way, he's wondering about what, how this little church in Corinth is doing. It's actually a big church. What's he going to find there as a result of his diverting time and energy to Ephesus? And um, he gets in the city of Troas, and Paul expects to find his friend Titus, but Titus is not there. So it's another disappointment for him. Paul, uh, one commentator writes, was at best discouraged. At worst, he was deeply depressed by this time. Uh, you can read about that in 7.5. It says, we were harassed at every turn, conflicts on the outside, fears on the inside. But Paul, in about AD 57, arrives in Macedonia, and at last he meets up with his friend Titus, who says, I've been to Corinth. You've got to hear what's going on in Corinth. And... Uh, one of the things he hears from them, and please understand this, this was a big deal with what he had going on. One of the things that he hears from Titus is, you got to hear how the Corinthians talk, Paul, about you. They love you. Now, he didn't know if he would have any friends left in Corinth. And so he gets this positive report from Corinth, um, and uh, when he... Um, uh, he hears about their repentance and their change. Go with me to chapter 7. I'm going to read just three verses, beginning with verse 6. Chapter 7. But God, who comforts the depressed, comforted us by the coming of Titus, 
And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted in you, as he reported us your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. For though I caused you sorrow by my letter, he's talking about 1 Corinthians, I don't regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that letter caused you sorrow, though only for a while. So he gets a positive statement from them that, that really his teaching when he was with them and now in his letter has kind of taken lodging. But there's still a lot more for the church to do, even though their commitment was reaffirmed. So Paul begins to reflect then deeply on what it means to face fellowship, uh, sorry, to face hardship in following Jesus. And he writes to them about that in 2 Corinthians, and that's where we're going to be today. Now, Bob, you're back there. Good to see you always. Would you mind to start with verse 3 and read down to 7? What's the word you keep hearing over and over? Comfort. Uh, I didn't count them, but in, it's in there several times, right? It must be a big deal. He's comforting them, and he's wanting to admonish them to use that comfort in a particular way. Now, um, in, in, in the writing of letters in Paul's day, um, it, a letter would begin with a greeting followed by, uh, in, in a Christian letter, would be followed by a prayer of thanksgiving. Okay, so in this case, he's going to offer a prayer. You see that kind of verse 1 and 2 and beginning here in verse 3. Then um, his prayer, this part of his prayer begins with, with what I would call a focused description of God. You can read a lot. You can kind of learn a lot about who God is by reading some of even Paul's introductions and benedictions to his letters. And so we've got one of them here that we can read. Let's, let's look at at least three things that we learn about God. God is first the Father of Jesus. Now, you heard Cliff talk a couple weeks ago in church about how important that word Father was. Uh, I hope that inspired you like it did me. Uh, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, he's the Father of uh, now, the NIV, I think, uses the word compassion. Is that right? What, what other word is right there in, verse, in, uh, in that uh, third verse? Okay, I'm hearing a few things, but I'm not hearing. What did you say? The word, father of, of uh, it uses here the father of uh, compassion. Mercy is the one that's in mind. Who else has got, anyone got anything different? Comfort. Okay, we're going to see that in a minute. Pat, I heard you say something. Sympathy. Okay, so it, it's the idea here. Um, the word in the NIV, we'll, we'll go in on that one just for a second. The father of compassion. Now, what is the implication if God is the father? We know that he's the father of mercy. But if the Lord is the father of compassion um, and mercy and things like grace, that means then, by implication, that if, if you have been given compassion or mercy, that it comes from the hand of the Father. Even if Roel Sargent is exercising that over my life, mercy or compassion or grace in some way, he got it from the Father. It's his commodity to share, okay? And mine to, to then turn about and share. 
Okay, so if I've got some, if I had some compassion shown in my life, then I know that it came from the Father. He's the Father of compassion here. Okay, and then the third idea that He is the God of all comfort. I want to, I want to talk about the implications of that as well. All right, implications here are that any comfort that I receive comes from Him. Any, any comfort that I receive in a time of difficulty in my life comes ultimately from the Father. And secondly, He comforts me in all of my difficulties. Catch that? That's really important to me. That not only does He comfort me in large things, but I could argue He comforts me in small things. He's the God of all comfort. Any comfort that I receive comes ultimately from Him. And secondly, the... the that comfort is available for me at all times, in all trials. Now, it's interesting uh, to reflect on what we go through and how God shows up. And sometimes, I might look at your life, and Roger, I didn't have polio as a kid. I didn't have cancer as an adult, as Julie did. Uh, multiple times. And so I might say, oh Lord, I can understand why you would be compassionate and comforting to her, but my situation is not really as severe. And yet, you know that you may not have gone through those things, but the things you go through are kind of equally a big deal to you. God comforts you in yours as well. Isn't it wonderful? A verse of scripture I, I memorized a long time ago, uh, just a little phrase comes out of the, the Hebrews 13, 5, and it's actually a quote from the Old Testament talking about how God is with me at all times. He's the God of all comfort. Now, I need to park on verse 4 for a minute. I'm going to read it from the New American Standard, and then I'm going to park there for a bit. If I don't get much beyond here, we assume me? We good? All right. All right. God is the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we'll be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Now, that's a hard verse to read because that word comfort just keeps coming back. It almost sounds like doublespeak, right? Um, but it's, it's the, there's an idea here that he's wanting to convey. Would somebody go over to uh, Romans 8.32 and hold on to it for a minute? Who would? John, thank you. And uh, somebody else go to, Philipp, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Philippians 3, verse 10 and 11. Think, okay, John, if you do that. All right, now, here's what we're going to do. In comforting us, God desires, well, I'm, I'm going to, Wait to fill in that one first. First of all, we're going we're gonna to deal with this idea that God ministers to all your troubles, whether they're large or small. We've already said that, right? But what I, uh, what I believe Paul is dealing with here, and this is a, a particular passion for me to, to understand and convey, is the comfort that God gives you doesn't stop with you. It doesn't end with you. Okay. The reason the Dead Sea is dead is because the water in the Dead Sea ends there. Okay. 
the reason other seas are not dead is because water flows in and then flows out. What Paul is saying is that the comfort you receive is to flow back out from you in acts of compassion and concern and care and comfort to other people. So the word that goes in that blank there is that in comforting us, God desires for us to become conduits of comfort to other people. Now, who is it that got, uh, John Foster, you got Romans 8, 32? He didn't abandon the Lord, and he's not going to abandon you. He didn't abandon the Lord Jesus, even though uh, you and I might look at his time on the cross. He didn't abandon his people in times of trouble. He's not going to abandon Paul, and he's not going to abandon you. But having been the receivers of that, I need to now then become an agent of comfort to other people. Um. Uh, Paul's going to talk about how other people have brought him great comfort, and he's now passing that on. The Lord Jesus brings him great comfort, and he's now passing that on. Now, the idea here is, uh, I want you to track with me for just a minute. Um, if comfort comes from the God of all comfort, then it surely comes, in my life most of the time, through those who belong to God through Christ. How many times have one of you ministered to me in a difficult time of my life and you've brought understanding and empathy into my life because you've been through something at least similar or something severe, if not similar? Now, I want to go after an idea because I really believe that sometimes we believe, and this is somewhat true, that the deepest understanding in my life comes from People who've been through similar situations and have gotten through it on the other side. I think that is true. I really do. Uh, and and there's, there's a point at which, uh, and I think I've got to be careful about this, and I'm going to try to teach about this for a few minutes here. I think there's an immediate credibility for those who have suffered the way I suffer. Am I right? That's what's so important about support groups, I think, is... There's an immediate credibility if you've been through what I am now going through. Well, you kind of get it, right? Um, I remember, I remember, I still gravitate toward those who, uh, and, and I, I try not to overplay this, because I want to be of help and not over-identify. But when I um, hear of someone suffering with, Tom, with ovarian cancer, my heart goes to them because that's how I lost my mother. Um, and I learned a lot about ovarian cancer dealing with mom for nine years uh, going through that struggle. And, um, and so when, when I hear that, uh, immediately my heart, it hits me in the gut. And, um, and I'm, 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 I have immediate empathy with them. But it's not only that person that I can help and comfort in times of grief. In times of difficulty, I want you to track with me on this just in just a minute for just a moment. I think there is also an empathy problem. Okay, in other words, if I've gone through what you've gone through, okay, and you could name it at your table, 
okay, this is what I'm dealing with today. If I've gone through what you're going through, there's a tendency for me to say, Joe, I know exactly how you feel. And the truth is, that's not true. You and I could go through something that seems really identical. And yet, I can't know completely how you feel. It's my job to walk for a while in your shoes and help you and encourage you and comfort you and bring care to you. But I can't know exactly how you feel. I'm going to do my best. Okay? So it could be that there's an empathy problem. I don't think, and this, this is my own, I've done a little research on this through the work I've done at the school in the past, but I don't think that I have to have your identical problem to be a helper in your life, to be empathetic in your life. Now, Jan, you're, you're wagging your head because you've heard me talk about this a lot in Stephen Minister, haven't you? I don't have to have your identical problem to come alongside you and provide comfort to you. So you know what that says to you and me in this room? None of us are exempt. You know, we can all help each other. We can all um, come beside someone who's going through something difficult, even though I may not have an identical frame of reference. I'm not disqualified. Isn't that kind of good news? Bob? Right. And I, I think the heart of what you're saying here is that we've all got something we're dealing with. We've all had a pain. Maybe we're going through the most difficult, rocky experience of our lives right now. It may be different a bit from what you're going through right now. But you know what? We can share with one another anyway. We can comfort one another anyway. Even if there's not that immediate credibility of, yeah, I've gone through something pretty well just like you have. You know, that's, that's part of maturing, Bob, I believe, to, to understand that, to recognize that, that I'm not alone in my suffering. God is with me. There are other people that are going through things too, and there are other people that care about me. Okay, now, I want us to go to the next verse, because I think it, it piggybacks right onto this. Look at verse 5. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so our comfort is abundant through Christ. In other words, Paul's saying, I've had about all I can stand. And yet, I've also gotten so much. The word that goes in your blank there is those who have suffered, and, and you know this is true, those who have suffered deeply often report God's abundance. Look at 4.10. If your like, Bible's like mine, just look across the page. He says, I'm always carrying around about, uh, uh, about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. Um, Cindy, was it you that agreed to get, oh, it was John, it was you that got Philippians 3, 10, and 11?
Philippians 3.10 is very radical Christianity. I, I recognize that. But I'm not sure if I'm going to make it through this life with any kind of hope and faith that I, that I don't need to kind of deal with this. And I use that double negative intentionally. Okay? I need to know, Paul says, it's good to know the fellowship of the suffering of Jesus. That doesn't sound like something I want to sign up for, does it? But Paul says, but maybe so. Um, uh, the idea here is um, that, and let me just phrase it in, in, in the terms of a question. Have you found fellowship in a time of suffering? It's really important. Really, really important. Have you found fellowship in your time of suffering? Or, the other question I might ask is, how can I, when I'm going through something really hard, keep from sinking into kind of a pity party? Because I don't think that's God's will for me. To sink, to lapse into, you know, kind of, woe is me. Paul's going to say it in Philippians, and by the way, he said this from jail. He talks about the wonder, the, the graciousness of the fellowship of his suffering with Christ. He's become a participant with the suffering of Jesus by entering into that himself. So, um, I can find fellowship there. Now, I want to make a point here that I think is pretty important as we go on. God, or Christ, didn't suffer merely for suffering's sake, did he? I want you to think about that for a minute because it's important as you deal with your own suffering. Jesus wasn't caused to suffer just for suffering's sake. Why did Jesus suffer? For your sake. My sake. You've got to get, get your mind around that. Why did Paul suffer? He suffered for Christ's sake and he suffered for the Corinthians' sake and for everybody he would meet. He was able to apply those lessons that he learned in a time of suffering. So if Christ didn't merely suffer for suffering's sake, neither should I. I need to kind of recognize that there, there is a meaning in all this. Um, now, I really believe here that uh, Paul had come to a point in his life where um, uh, he had kind of lost some hope. We're going to deal with that a little bit here. But, um, but what I want to say to you is that when Paul looks at them now, these Corinthian Christians, they're going through some significant hardships. Some of those, let's be honest, are their own making. And as they've struggled with those things, um, Paul kind of helps them to deal with the fellowship in this suffering. And he sees in them now not a group of wavering and shallow and inconsistent converts, but a group that has grown to love God and understood his presence in their life. God doesn't put Paul through hard times merely to toughen him up. I want you to think about that for a second. Paul suffered as he traveled. He experienced dangers, hardships. I was with a group yesterday, and uh, we were talking about um, um, one of the members of this group was getting ready to go on a cruise, an Alaska cruise, 
And for some reason, everybody else in the group started talking about shipwrecks. And I'm thinking, I don't know that I want to hear about that. You know? Do you suppose Paul, it, toward the end of his life, somebody would come see him in jail, and he'd say, and they'd say, uh, they'd say, well, I'm shipping out tomorrow to Troas. And Paul would say, yeah, I did that once. And the ship sank. Because it did, if you remember. Okay? He's experienced all that. Um, he's had all that. He's experienced all those things. And yet, through all those things, he's got this endurance that causes him to be able to minister even more to hurting people. So, if Paul's suffering is for, sake of the, for the sake of others, i got to think so is mine. I'm going through what I'm going through for your comfort so that I can comfort you at some point. Now, what does all this mean for the Corinthian Christians? Well, they're growing up. That's what it means. They've been through some hard times. But their faith is no longer shallow as it was. Okay. Now we're going to go on in just a minute uh, to verse 8. And I'll have some. He'll read down through verse 11. Okay, Steve, if you will, I want to share a story with you first. You think you've had tough days. I want you to hear this actual work-related report. This was actually turned in to the work comp department of, of a uh, company back in the 90s. This guy was, uh, uh, was working on a building, um, uh, removing some bricks. And he says, when I got to the building, I found the hurricane had knocked off some bricks around the top. So I rigged up a beam with a pulley at the top of the building, and I hoisted up a couple of barrels full of bricks. Now, you've got this. He's got a pulley, and he's pulling barrels of bricks up. When I'd fixed the damaged area, there were a lot of bricks left over. So then I went to the bottom, and I began releasing the line. Unfortunately, the barrel of bricks was much heavier than I was. So before I knew it, what was happening, the barrels started coming down, jerking me up. Now, you got this deal. This sounds like a cartoon, but this really happened. I decided to hang on since I was far, so too far off the ground by this time to jump. And halfway up, I met the barrel of bricks coming down fast. I received a hard blow on my shoulder. I then continued to the top, banging my head against the beam and getting my fingers pinched and jammed in the pulley. When the barrel hit the ground hard, it burst its bottom allowing the bricks to spill out. Now I am heavier than the barrel. So I started coming down again at high speed. Halfway down, I met the barrel coming up fast and received several injuries to my shins. When I hit the ground, I landed on the pile of spilled bricks, getting several painful cuts and deep bruises. At this point, I must have lost my presence of mind because I let go of my grip on the rope. The barrel came down fast, giving me another blow on my head and putting me in the hospital. Here's his last statement. I, request, I respectfully request sick leave. <laughs> I think he's earned it. Now, let's go to verse 8, Steve, and read down through 11. Paul's had some tough days. They've had some tough days. Let's talk about it.
okay, Paul at one time, and he's trying to help them apply what he learned through one of his tough days and through a period of, of, of tough days in his life. At some point in his life, hope had really left him. Now, I want you to look at chapter 11. He's going to recount some of the things that have happened to him. It sounds a little bit like what I just read to you. <clears throat> Verse 11:23. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I am more so. In fact, more la- far more labors. In, in far more imprisonments. Beaten times without number. Often in danger of death. Five times, verse 24, he says, I received from the Jews 39 lashes. By the way, if you know what the 39 lashes meant, it meant 40 would kill you, so they stopped one short. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. And he's not talking about marijuana. (laughs) Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Three times. You'd think one time would be enough. A night and a day I've spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys, in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and in hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Now, I won't go on, but he's not having a pity party here. He's just saying, I get it. I get it. He's he's acknowledging that there was a time in his life when I sincerely believe that Paul had almost completely lost hope. Go to chapter 4. I'm going to read from verse 7. We have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power uh, will be of God and not from ourselves. We're afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not despairing, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed always carrying about in our body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. He gets it. What's the full extent of Paul's sufferings? He'd kind of been there, done that. You could hardly name something that he hadn't gone through. And if you think, uh, you know, physical, physical ailment wasn't part of his experience, read about his thorn in the flesh, which many believe was um, severe headaches or or some kind of other really chronic physical expression. So he, he kind of gets it here. But he's going to go on to say in verse 9 that for the suffering believer, the question really is, he, he's going to say, uh, my life felt a lot like a, feels a lot like a sentence of death at times. He's going to uh, indicate, I mean, you can read from Matthew 27 where Jesus cries out from the cross, Lord, why have you forsaken me? But for the suffering believer, the question really is, who am I going to trust? Am I going to trust in me? Or am I going to trust in the Lord God? And Paul had learned that lesson. I read this week about early on in World War II, Thousands of American troops surrendered to the Japanese in the Philippines. Uh, The war was not going well in the Philippines in those days. And those who survived the infamous Bataan Death March faced death by malnutrition every day, disease that awaited them as prisoners of war. To make matters worse, if one of them tried to escape, 
the guards would kill nine prisoners in addition. You can imagine people in that kind of a situation giving up on God. But Paul's reaction was just the opposite. In the depths of his despair, he realized there was no one to trust but the God who raises the dead. I ought to find comfort, guys, on a regular basis in not only what Jesus went through on the cross, but remembering what happened three days later. That the focus of my faith is not the cross of Christ, even though it saves me from my sins and helps me understand the depth of Jesus' love for me. The focus of my faith in a really trying time ought to be the resurrection of Jesus. The other story. The hope that's found in that. For the suffering believer, the question really is a question of trust. If suffering is a kind of a death, and Paul calls it that here in verse 10, then God's comfort is a foretaste of my own resurrection. I believe that Paul was really qualified, and by the way, sometimes you and I are not. Can I say it? To, in the book of Romans, pen the words in Romans 8.28. What does Romans 8.28 say? I love the mumbling. That's good. <laughs> Somebody read it so we get it right. Paul's in a position to say that. He's kind of gone through lots of things, all right? Can I tell you something? Romans 8.28 is for you to apply to you, not you to apply to somebody else. You know, Joe comes to me and says, you know, I'm getting tired of the unemployment deal. Uh, boy, this door slamming in my face, this door slamming in my face. It is not appropriate for me to come alongside him and say, well, Joe, you know, the Bible says all things work together for good. You would spit in my face, and you should. That's for me to figure out in the midst of my trial, as Paul did in his Corinthian Ephesian trial, and he could relate later in Romans 8. Isn't it wonderful that the kind of death that you may be going through, when God comes along beside you and puts his arm around you, and his Holy Spirit whispers in your ear, and if it hasn't happened to you, if you'll listen, I promise it will. I promise you it will. When he says to you, you know, I want to remind you, I get it, and you're my child. Let's have fellowship in this suffering. When he says that, that's a foretaste of the resurrection when one of these days he's going to make it all all right. Now, he's going to say one more thing in verse 11 that I think we dare not miss. Why pray? Well, for those who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, he says, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. I'm looking at the wrong chapter, sorry. That was a really good verse, but it was the wrong chapter. <laughs> you also are joining and helping us through your prayers so that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many. Why do we pray? 
Because God will be praised and thanked for what he does as we pray. I'm going to say this, and, and, and I haven't completely vetted this statement, but I think I'm right. We may only recognize God's gifts when we've asked him for them to start with. Think about that for just a second. I may only be, have the capacity to recognize the gifts of God when I've asked him for them time and time again to start with. Then when you see God showing up, it's like, well, I asked him about it. He showed up. That's just like my Jesus. Okay, here's what I'm going to tell you. And you can put this in the last two blanks and we got to go. When you're under trial, when you're facing trouble, I've just got to tell you this. Look up. Look up. There's the source of our hope. I love working through this stuff with you. We'll be at the end of one, at the beginning of two next week. See you then. Have a great Sunday.